we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. The mind must be innocent, though it has gone through experiences. For the mind to realise that state of innocency, the accumulations of experience must come to an end. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Innocence. Upcoming themes are Facts, Contradiction and Transformation. This is the podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on innocence has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's ninth talk in Sanan, 1964, titled An Innocent Mind is Empty of Experience. I would like to talk about something this morning which may be rather foreign to most people. It seems to me it's one of the most important things in life because it clarifies the mind, empties the mind of every experience and thought so that it is made new, fresh, innocent. And it is only the innocent mind in its freedom that can discover what is true. And this discovery is not a state of permanency or a mind that has achieved a result and remains there. It's a mind that is utterly being free, is capable 
of renewing itself without effort. And because it is of such immense significance that most of us who live so very superficially with knowledge and information feel that in itself knowledge and information are sufficient. But the nature of meditation, not contemplation, not prayer, but the mind that is in a state of meditation must understand, or rather to come by it naturally, easily, without effort, must understand the, the superficial mind, the everyday mind, the mind that is so easily satisfied with information, with acquiring knowledge and accumulating technological capacity so that it is able to live in this world rather superficially, specialized along a particular line, and be content with whatever psychological or physiological problems arise to live in that le- at that level. So it's, it seems to me that it is very important to understand how very superficial the mind as it is now, and whether it is possible to go beyond it. We see that the more one has information, greater capacity in so-called daily life, and one must have that capacity, that knowledge, that information. That is obvious and that is necessary, because we cannot put back, go back to the ancient times or put away all machinery and science. It's like those religious people who try to go back to old tradition, to old philosophy, to old concepts and formulas, and thereby destroy themselves and the world in which they live. But science, mathematics, all the technological knowledge available for man, it is absolutely necessary. But to live 
in that world of technology, knowledge and information makes the mind only superficial. And most of us are content to live in that superficiality. And because that knowledge, technology and information gives us more money, more comfort, more well-being and so-called freedom, the more it is respected by a degrading, disintegrating society. And a mind which would go very deeply must understand the limitation of technology, knowledge and information and leave it there. See the limitation and be free of that limitation. The second extract is from the second talk in Bombay, 1967, titled An Innocence Not Touched by Thought. Thought, which is the result of time, thought is always inquiring. Inquiring whether it can go beyond its own conditioning, and saying it cannot, or it can, or asserting that there is something beyond. So thought, which is the result of time, thought, which is the whole field of consciousness, whether it is conscious or unconscious, thought can never discover the new. Right? Because thought is always the old. The thought is the accumulated memory of many, many millennia. Thought is the result of the animal inheritance. Thought is the experience of yesterday as memory. So thought can never go beyond the limitation of consciousness. So when you look at a tree, you are looking at the image which thought has created about that tree. Or when you look at your wife or your husband or your political leader or your religious guru and all the rest of it, you are looking at the... Uh, with thought which has created the image about that person. Therefore you are never seeing anything new. And thought is controlled by pleasure. Because we function on the principle of pleasure. which we went into a little bit the other day. So, what we are asking is, 
whether it is possible at all to go beyond this limited consciousness if it is at all possible and to enquire into that is part of meditation which demands tremendous discipline not the discipline of control suppression imitation following a method and all the rest of that silly stuff now i am going to go into this process of enquiry i am going to go into it the speaker is going to it but if you want to take the journey with the speaker you have not only to follow him verbally follow him in the sense not authoritarian just for pursue with him not verbally but actually because we are going to discover whether there is a field of innocence an innocence that has not been touched by thought at all whether i can look at that tree as though it was the first time whether i can look at the world with all its confusion misery sorrow deception brutality dishonesty cruelty wars but i can look at it the whole construction of the world as though for the first time because if i can look at it for the first time my reaction is totally new because unless the mind discovers that field of innocence whatever it do it does whatever the social reforms whatever activity will always be contaminated by thought because it is the product of thought and thought is always old and we are asking whether consciousness being limited any movement in that consciousness any move is a movement of thought conscious or unconscious therefore when you seek god truth it is still thought seeking and therefore projecting itself in terms of recognition of what it has known and therefore what you are seeking is already known therefore you are not seeking at all i this is very important to understand Huh? 
Therefore, all seeking must totally cease. Which means really, seeing actually what is, what, what is, that is, seeing that you are angry, jealous, competitive, greedy, selfish, brutal, hmm, violent, actually what, actually as it is, not in terms of an ideal. You, therefore you remove conflict altogether. Right? You are following all this. Because a mind that is in conflict of any kind, at any level, becomes dumb. Like two people quarrelling all the time. They are dull, stupid. They become insensitive. So, any conflict makes the mind dull. But when you see actually what is, then without its opposite, then there is no conflict at all. I'll, I'll show you what, what we mean. The animal is violent. The animal is violent. Human beings who are the result of the animal are also violent. It's part of their being to be violent, to be angry, to be jealous, to be envious, to be to seek power, position, prestige, and all the rest of it. To dominate, to be aggressive. Man is violent, which is shown through thousands of wars, um, all the rest of it, and he has developed an ideology which he calls non-violence. Please follow this closely. And this country has talked endlessly about that. It's one of its fanciful ideological nonsense. And when there is actual violence, as a war between this country and next country, Everybody is involved in it. They love it. Now, when you are actually violent and you have the ideal of non-violence, you have a conflict. And you are always trying to become non-violent, which is a part of the conflict. You discipline yourself in order not to be violent, which is again conflict, friction. So, when you have, are violent and have the ideal of non-violence, you are essentially violent. Now, to realize that you are violent is the first thing to do. 
not try to become non-violent. Right? Now, to see violence as it is, not try to translate it, not try to overcome it, not try to discipline, not try to suppress it, but to see it. That is, to see it as though you are seeing it for the first time. That is, to look at it without any thought. I explained it before, what we mean by looking at a tree with innocence, which is without the image. So to look at violence without the image, without the word, which is involved in, the, in that word itself, to look at it without any movement of thought is to look at it as though you are looking at it for the first time and therefore looking at it with innocence. I, don't, I hope you are getting this, it doesn't matter if you don't. That's very important to understand this. Because if man can remove conflict within himself totally, he'll create a different society altogether. And that is the radical revolution. So, we're asking whether man, this conditioned entity, can break through all his conditioning, so that he is no longer a Hindu, a Muslim, a communist, a socialist, with opinions, with ideologies, all that's gone. But it's at all possible. And it's only possible when you begin to see things actually as they are, the tree as the tree, not as you think the tree is. When you can look at your wife and your husband actually as they are, not through the image that you have built about the person, so that you are always looking at the fact, at what is. Not try to interpret it in terms of your personal inclination, tendency, or guided by circumstance. Because we are controlled by circumstances, we are guided by inclination and tendency, and therefore we never look at what actually is. Now to look at what actually is, is innocent. Therefore the mind then has undergone a tremendous revolution.
The third extract is from Krishnamurti's seventh talk in Sanan, 1970, titled Only an Innocent Mind Can See Truth. One can observe a cloud, a tree, a flowing river with fairly quiet brain, right? You can see those mountains. the extraordinary light on those mountains. And the brain can be completely still. You have noticed this, haven't you? Now, how has that happened? How does the mind, facing something of extraordinary magnitude, like a very, very, very complex machinery, like a marvellous computer, or a magnificent sunset or a mountain, how does it become completely quiet for even a split second? Have you noticed when you give a child a good toy, how the toy absorbs the child? Then the child is concerned with it, playing with it, and doesn't, you know, is absorbed by the talk. In the same way, the mountain, the beauty of a tree, the flowing waters absorb the minds and makes the mind by its greatness still. Right? That is, the brain is made still by something. Now, is there, can the brain be quiet without an outside factor entering into it? You are following all this? And because they haven't found the way, therefore they say, grace of God, prayers, right? Faith, absorption in Jesus, in this or in that. And we see all that this absorption by something outside can be a dull, a stupefied mind can do this. We are trying to find out can this happen, this quiet, free brain that that is completely quiet, without any interference. Right? You have understood the question? If it is not quiet, one of the factors is dream. You are following all this? Is this too much? 
Topi, if you don't understand, it's up to you. The brain is active all day, endlessly. The moment it wakes up till it goes to sleep, it is on the move. And when they, when you go to bed and go to sleep, the activity of the brain is still going on. Right? The activity of the brain is, is dream, our dreams. Right? The same movement during the, of the day is carried on during sleep. And therefore, the brain has never a rest. Never a moment it says, I finished. It's over. As it's carrying on the problems which it has accumulated into sleep, and when you wake up, those problems go on. It's a vicious circle. So, a brain that has is to be quiet must have no dreams at all. Because when the mind is quiet during sleep, you the, the brain is quiet during sleep, there is a totally different quality entering into the into the brain, into the mind. We'll go into that a little later, if you are interested. So, we are asking, how does it happen that the brain, which is so tremendously, eagerly, enthusiastically active, can naturally, easily, without any effort and suppression, be quiet? I'll say to you. As we said during the day, it is active, endless. Moment you wake up, you look out at the window and say, Oh, awful rain! Oh, it's a marvelous, lovely morning, but too hot. You've, you've started. At that moment, when you look out at the window, not to say a word, not suppressing words, not to realize that by saying what a lovely morning, what a horrible rain, this or that, the mind has started, the brain has started. But if you watch out of the window and not say a word, which doesn't mean you suppress the word. Just to observe, with all the memory of the past rushing, just to observe. Right? So there you have the clue, there you have the key to observe without the old brain responding. 
Therefore, when the old brain doesn't respond, there is a quality of the new mind, new brain coming into being. Uh, are you getting all this? You can observe the hills, the mountains, the river, the sh valleys, the shadows, the lovely trees, and the marvelous cloud with full of light and glory beyond the mountains. To look at it without a word, without comparing. But it becomes much more difficult when you look at your neighbour, at your wife, your husband, your another person. There you are already got the images established, and it becomes much more difficult to observe your wife, your husband, your neighbour, your politician, your priest, whatever it is, absolutely without an image. Just to observe. And you will see when you so observe, so clearly see, the action becomes extraordinarily vital. Therefore it becomes a complete action, which is not carried over the next minute. You are meeting this? You understand? One has problems. not sleeping well, quarrelling with wife, you know, problems, deeply, superficially. And we carry these problems from day to day. Dreams, uh, the repetition of these problems, the repetition of fear, pleasure, the problem over and over and over and over again, that obviously stupefies the mind makes the mind dull, brain too. Now, is it possible to end the problem as it arises? You understand? Not carry it over. I have a problem, somebody has insulted me. Hmm? I'm taking the most silly problem. At that moment, the old brain responds instantly. Right? Saying, You're also. Now, before the old brain responds, to be aware of what the man or woman has said, uh, something which is unpleasant, to have an interval between what he has said and the response of the old brain, to have a gap. You understand this? So that the old brain is, is responding slowly, doesn't immediately jump into the battle. So if you watch during the day the movement of thought in action, 
thought is action. And if you watch that and you realize that it is breeding problems, and problems are something which are incomplete, which had to be carried over. But if you watch that with a brain that is fairly quiet, then you will see action becomes instantaneous. So there is no carrying over of a problem. You, you got this? No carrying over the insult or the praise or something, you know, problem, carrying over the next minute. It's finished. So when you go to when, the, when there is sleep, the brain is no longer carrying on the old activities of the days. It has complete rest. Right? And therefore the brain then being quiet in sleep, that takes place not only rejuvenation of the whole structure in itself, but a quality of innocency comes into being. Because only the innocent mind can see what is truth, right? Not the complicated mind, not the philosopher, not the priest, not the brain that is constantly repetitive, mechanical. Innocent mind is the brain as well as the body, the mind, the whole, whole entity, not entity, the whole being, not even the being, it's that whole thing in which the body, the heart, the brain, the, mind, the whole of that, if, you do, if there is this, pro, this alertness, watchfulness during the day, and when there is sleep, there is a certain quality of innocency that happens. And it is only this innocent mind, which has never been touched by thought, it's only such an innocent mind that can see what is truth, what is reality, if there is something beyond measure. That is meditation, not all the phony stuff. Therefore, to find, to come upon this extraordinary beauty of Truth with its ecstasy, you must lay, lay the foundation The foundation is the understanding of thought which breeds fear, 
and sustains pleasure. The understanding of order and therefore virtue, and therefore the freedom from all conflict and aggression and brutality, violence, that is the foundation without that you can play tricks. And what you will have are the tricks of the conjurer. But once one has laid this foundation on freedom, then there is this sensitivity which is supreme intelligence, and from that the whole life one leads becomes entirely different. The final extract in this episode is from the seventh talk in London, 1962, titled The Innocent Mind is a Religious Mind. As we were saying the other day, without understanding the unconscious, every psychological change is merely a conformity to the pattern established by the unconscious. And not only the present crisis outwardly but the crisis in consciousness demands revolution, not the revolution economic or social, which, is, which, are mere, which are very superficial, but we are talking of a revolution in the unconscious, a complete breaking away from the psychological structure of society, the breaking away totally from ambition, from greed, envy, from the desire for power, position, and prestige, and so on, to break away totally. And that is the revolution. Because without that revolution, no new, new thing can be. Then, then, without that revolution, we merely indulge in ideas, in concepts. And without that revolution, there will always be sorrow. And there is an ending to sorrow only when there is this total revolution. And the question is really, 
having understood somewhat of this problem, because we have discussed in enough here as well as in other halls, how to bring about this change, this revolution. If we make conscious effort, a deliberate conscious endeavour, <coughs> then we bring conflict into being, struggle. And a thing that is born of struggle, conflict, is of little importance, because it's only productive of further conflict, further misery. So, how is this possible to bring about a revolution within the psyche without conscious effort? We have very carefully explained that the unconscious is the storehouse of the past, not only of the individual experiences and responses according to his background, but also it is the storehouse of the race, of the culture, of all the endeavour of man, his search for God and his denial of God, and his substitutions for God as the state, as the nation, as an idea. The totality of all that is the past, is the unconscious, is the background of each one of us. And to consciously break down through analysis through examination will not obviously bring about a revolution. You can modify you can bring about reformation, but reformation needs further reformation. It is not a revolution, a complete breaking away from the past. And it is only when one can break away psychologically from the past that is the new. And we need a young, fresh, innocent mind. And that contradiction emphasizes the conflict and therefore it is not a change at all. You can only perceive something new there can only be a state of innocence 
only when the past has ceased to, to have any significance. You know, it's one of the demands of modern society which has lived through a great deal of suffering, guilt, anxiety, and enormous pain and fear. To such a mind, innocency is a great thing. It is demanding. But their demand is still very superficial. The innocence of which they talk about is the opposite of complexity, the opposite of, of sorrow, of all the experiences, miseries, strifes, confusion. Innocency, like love, is not the opposite. Love is not the opposite of hate. Love comes into being only when hate, in every form, ceases. Hate as jealousy, hate as fragmentation of society, as one nation opposed to the other nation. All that form of antagonism, when that ceases there is, then there is the possibility of love. In the same way, innocence and there must be innocence, Mind must be innocent, though it has gone through every form of experience. To, to bring about or to realize that state of innocence, every form of experience must come to an end, which is still the past, which is still the totality of the unconscious. Now, how is this to be done? The religious people say, you must turn to God and be in a state of receptivity. Be in a state where the grace of God can come into being. Under every form of religious, I was going to use the word shikenere, to persuade the human mind to influence, to control the human mind so that it will 
in some form or other achieve this innocence. And there are those who try various forms of drugs to achieve this extraordinary state of bliss, of innocence, where there is a heightened sensitivity, percep perceptivity and listening. Neither the drug nor all the various forms of yoga, of every form of belief and denial of belief, all waiting for the grace of God can bring about this innocence. Because all that implies effort, all that implies the seeking, the escape. From the fact of what is, And that innocence can only come into being when there is freedom from the known. The dying to the known, dying to the past, to the pleasures, to the memories, to the ideas, to the things that one has cherished, built, put together as character. But we do not want to die to anything. We rather find a substitution, escape, find an illusion. But we never want to die to anything which gives us pleasure to things that we have known, cherished to any memory. But one must die for that innocency to be. And this dying is not a verbal statement, a verbal conclusion, a concept. There must be an actual dying. But one can't die if you have a motive to die. For motive has root in time. And time is whole. And thought is the response of this totality of consciousness, which is the known. And a man who has or gone through or understood this whole process of influence, of conditioning, 
for their own condition. As the British, as a British or a Russian, a Hindu, a, as a Catholic, Buddhist and so on. We are shaped by society. by environment. We are the environment. Most of you undoubtedly believe in God or in some form of super state because you have been brought up in it. Like in Russia, they don't believe in any of that nonsense. That's their conditioning. As this is your conditioning. Without realizing all that conditioning, not through analysis, because that takes time. A conditioning can only be broken immediately. And the totality of conditioning is the consciousness we know. And it can be broken. And it can only be broken when it is approached negatively. And this negation is not the opposite of the positive. As love is not the opposite of hate, this negation is not the opposite of what we call the positive. The positive being the analysis, the examination, the trying to change what is, trying to conform to the pattern or try to change the pattern. All that we consider the positive. That which we are talking about as negation, negative, is not the opposite of that. It is the denial of the opposite. It is not a synthesis. A synthesis implies the coming together of the opposites, which is further productive of more opposites. But we are denying the positive altogether, this approach to change the psyche through effort, through analysis. When you deny that totally, which is our conditioning, then the mind is in a state of negation. And it is only then possible that an innocency can be. It is this innocency which is really the religious mind. The religious mind isn't the mind that believes that goes to church every day or three times a day or once a week or once a month. 
It is not his religious mind that has dogma. It is not the religious mind that has innumerable beliefs and superstitions. The religious mind is the scientific mind, which is able to observe the fact without distortion. The fact of its own inquiry and the falseness of that inquiry, to see itself as it is. To see our conditioning requires a scientific mind, not a believing mind, not an accepting mind, not a doubting mind, but a mind that is capable of seeing rationally, sanely, the fact that unless there is a total breaking away from the psychological structure of society which we are. There is no innocence, and therefore such a mind can never be a, a religious mind. A religious mind is not a fragment, fragmentary mind. It comprehends the totality of life. The life of sorrow, the life of pain, the life of joy and the passing entertainment of life, the totality of life and the comprehension of that, not in department, not in fragmentation, but the totality of whole of life. Such a mind is a religious mind. And it's the religious mind only that can go beyond. Not the believing mind, not the mind that says, there is a beyond, there is a God, or have a hypothesis about God. It's only the religious mind that, that can go beyond, in the sense, that it's only the religious mind that can break away totally from the psychological structure of ambition, greed, envy, competition, the demand for more psychologically. It's only such a mind that can be innocent. And then, there is a possibility for such a mind to find out if there is or if there is not that which is immeasurable. The word 
God is not God. The concept of what one calls God is not God. To find that, if there is that, all verbal concepts, all verbal formulations, All ideas, and in fact thought, which is the response of memory, must come totally to an end. Then only is there innocence. And then you will find out for yourself, <coughs> without any deception, without any wanting, without any desire. Because such a mind is no longer seeking experience. The mind that seeks experience is an immature mind. Such a mind which is Innocent is no longer concerned with experience. Then, being free of the word, the word being the capacity to recognize, recognize from the known, because otherwise you cannot recognize anything. Recognition implies association, either verbal or actual through experience. Therefore, a religious mind is free of the word, concepts, formulas, patterns, and such a mind alone can find out for itself if there is or if there is not the immeasurable.